Robert Murray McShane died at the age of, of 29 years old. But in his short life, he saw God work incredibly powerfully through his ministry. And six months after he died, a young minister visited his church, and while he was there, he spoke to one of the elders, and he asked them what a person would have to do to have McShane's success. Oh, I can tell you, the elder said, come with me. Sit here in McShane's desk. Now put your elbows on the desk and put your face in your hands and let the tears flow. Now come with me. He took him up to the pulpit. He says, put your elbows on the pulpit. Put your face in your hands and let the tears flow. And McShane understood and did what I think most of us fail to understand is that prayer impacts every part of your life because prayer gives you access to the supreme power of this universe. In fact, it seems almost unbelievable to think that the author, the creator who just flung billions of stars into space, who also is the sustainer of this universe, the vastness of which is almost immeasurable, yet at the same time has got microorganisms that are so minute that the human eye find it impossible to see them. He is the same Lord God Almighty that countless angels in heaven worship every moment of every day and every night. And he welcomes you into his presence. He takes pleasure in your company because you are important to him. And through prayer, you have access to the one and the only true God. That's why Jeremiah exclaims in, in chapter 32, verse 17, he says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and your mighty arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And, and prayer gives you access to this ultimate part, to the God who can make anything happen. He can heal. He can solve any problem. He can open doors of opportunity. He can cause everything that has happened to you in the past, good or bad, right or wrong, to come together for good. Romans 8, 28. This is what God does. Prayer gives you access to Him, and you by prayer have access to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, so never underestimate it. In fact, never think it's true of others, but it's not true of you. If you're a child of God, you have complete access. That is why prayer is the greatest privilege you will ever have, and yet it is the most underused, limitless power in this universe. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, you know, that's all well and good, but I just don't know how to do it. What do I say? How do, I even, how do I even begin to pray for others? And, and I know how you feel. I've been there. There are times when I've heard of situations, and I know I should be praying for that person, but I just really don't know what to ask. And simply praying, dear Lord, please bless great uncle Bulgaria, just, well, it just seems a little bit too vague. Well, hopefully today is going to help. Because today we're going to see how Paul prays for the church in Colossae. 
In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, we get this rich insight into what we should want, and therefore we find out what we should be asking for in prayer for our friends and for our church family. In fact, this prayer of Paul teaches us more about the substance of prayer than perhaps any other passage in the New Testament. It's worth noting that the Colossian church was a small church in a small town. Paul didn't plant it. He didn't even visit it. He, he doesn't even know who these people are, yet he prays passionately for them. So let's have a look at what Paul says. This is, if you, if you look in your Bibles, Colossians 1, we're in verse 9, begins, for this reason, since the day we heard, listen to this, since the day we heard about you, we have never stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a worthy life of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruits in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I think it's fair to say that most of us want to know God's will at least at some point in our lives or another. And this is how Paul begins to pray for the Colossians. He asked that they would be filled with this ever-growing knowledge of the will of God. And in doing so, I think he highlights an important truth that is often overlooked. You see, the, the great overarching purpose of prayer is not so much about getting God to listen to you, but that you might listen to Him. In other words, the purpose is not to try and persuade God to do what you want, but to actually find out what He wants us to do. Andrew Murray writes, he says, prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue. God's voice is the most essential part. So what does it mean for us to hear the voice and to know the will of God? Well, the, the, big, the big theme, I think, of Colossians is that when a person is born into the family of God, when they become a Christian through faith in Jesus Christ, they have all that they need for growth and for maturity. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, I think, just sums this one up beautifully. It says, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Another translation, you are complete in Him. In Jesus, you've got everything that you need. You know that? Everything that you need is found in Jesus Christ. And yet, it doesn't mean you know everything. There's always more to learn about God and His will for your life. No Christian could ever dare say that they know everything about God and they've got nothing more to discover. And there's this tension that exists here, these two seemingly opposing views where Paul tells the believers in Colossians that they are complete in Jesus Christ, and yet Paul is still praying for them to be filled, to be full of the knowledge of Christ's will. So what's, what's Paul mean? How does a believer grow in the knowledge of God's will and yet know that they are complete in Him? Well, helpfully, Paul actually tells us in the last few words of verse 9. He says, by the knowledge of His will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So how do we know that we are complete in Christ, and yet we are still continuing to be filled with this understanding of His will? It comes through the Word of God. 
It's through the Scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit who teaches us. But, but we only get filled, we only mature, we only grow when we come under His Word and we submit to Him. Prayerful, sincere study of God's Word revealed through the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, opens our minds. It brings wisdom, truthful insight, and understanding. And I think Paul's point here is, is pretty obvious. God's will is not difficult for us to understand if you're willing to obey. Obedience is key to spiritual knowledge. And God does not reveal His will to the careless or to the rebellious, but to those that are ready and willing to obey Him. <clears throat> Remember, God's desire is that you are filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, but it doesn't mean you get to pick and choose. Everything in your life is important to God, and He has a plan for every detail. So you need to start by obeying Him in the obvious things, that he has already revealed to you. R.T. Kendall in his book, Did You Think to Pray, tells a story about a lady who approached him, a friend of his who had this strong prophetic gift. And she asked him if he had a word for her. It had been a really busy day, and he felt it was about the thousandth person to come and ask him exactly the same question. And to his regret, he actually got quite annoyed with her and said, yes, here, take this, and handed her his Bible. And she took that as a prophetic word from God himself. The story doesn't finish there. When that man came back to that area a couple of years later, that woman had read and reread the Bible, knowing it better than any pastor in that area, and she had become immersed in the revealed will of God. So my question for us this morning is this. Do you want to know God's will? Well, do you care enough to read His Word line by line, day by day, out of love for Him? Because that, that is an indication of your esteem for God. And, and this, this is how you will know God's will for your life. Because all spiritual wisdom and understanding comes from God. So you need to begin by humbly submitting to His will in the areas that He's already revealed to you through His Word. Prayer, worship, holy living. And as you do, God's will, God's guidance will come clear in those other areas as well. I think one of the reasons why some people struggle so much with God's will for their life is because they think knowing God's will is some sort of cold, impersonal, rather fragile, mechanical process. So if you make one wrong choice, or if you disobey God, you will be out of God's will for the rest of your life. But God's will is not some sort of glorified spiritual vending machine that only accepts the right change. The will of God is a living, it's, it's a loving relationship between God and His children, a relationship that's not even destroyed by disobedience. Instead, this is the love of the perfect Father who still loves His children, even if sometimes it means disciplining them because God's loving discipline and grace just gently leads a child of God to a place of repentance and obedience. 
That's what Paul is praying for the Colossians. That's what you should be praying for your friends. So when you pray for someone to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding, you're praying for them to understand the great truths of the gospel, the mercy, the grace, the love of God, but also you're praying that they apply that and they apply this understanding to what they do. Pray that that affects the decisions that they make every single day, and that will change how they behave at work, how they behave at school, at university, at, at, at home. And when you pray like this, relationships are restored. Marriages are strengthened. Our love for our Savior will just be deepened so that our hearts will burn with devotion for Jesus. And our purpose in life is not to please ourselves, but to please the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to pray effectively for your friends, Pray that they might have spiritual knowledge, spiritual intelligence, and that this intelligence might, be, might produce practical obedience. So Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, but secondly, he prays for power. Let's jump back in at verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving thank and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You know, it's wonderful to know God's will for your life, but you also need to know God's power. Because when you live in the will of God and in the power of God, it makes such a difference in the way in which you live everyday life. So Paul prays that his friends would be strengthened with the power of God. Prayer, prayer brings the greatest gift to your spiritual walk, knowledge plus power. It's important to notice here why Paul prays in this way. See, the purpose of experiencing God's power, verse 11, is endurance, it's patience, it's thankful joy. Now, that may surprise you. See, when I, th when I think of God's incredible power, I think of some of the amazing Old Testament stories. For example, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, or David leading a victorious army against his enemies, or in the New Testament, how Paul prays for a guy who literally falls from a window, dies, he prays for them, he comes back to life again. We, we, we generally think that power equals miracles. But that's only a very small part of it. And actually, it's not what Paul is praying for the believers here. You see, public headline miracles are great victories. They're incredible displays of God's power. But the inner, the often unseen victory of a person's life, in a person's life is just as great, if not greater. So what Paul emphasizes here is Christian character, endurance patience, joyfulness, thank, thanksgiving. If you think about it, it's easy for God to perform physical and material miracles because everything in creation obeys His commands. 
So God easily brought water out of the rock for the Israelites, but he could not force Moses to be patient. Some of the greatest miracles of all are those that take place in the life of a maturing Christian, and they come through patiently enduring the trials and the challenges of life. It, it may not appear as dramatic as the healing of the sick or the raising of the dead, but God's hand is seen just as powerfully when our tempers are brought under control or when we grow in patience and kindness. And these things are only possible when God works powerfully within your life. The words endurance and patience are very often seen together in the Bible. The Greek word for endurance, which can be translated as long-suffering, basically means not giving up on people, believing in them, loving them, even when they irritate you or just drive you to, to distraction. Now, I'm sure there's no people like that in this room, probably in other places, but not, not here, of course. It's loving those people that you find really hard to love. However, the Greek word for Patience is the ability to deal with challenging events and circumstances. It's, it's, it's more than just keeping your head down and dealing with a difficult situation. It's the ability to conquer the situation, to turn it around for good. It's being able to triumphantly deal with everything that life can throw at you. And if you're imagining in your mind this Christian sitting in his rocking chair just sort of waiting for God to do something forget it. You should be imagining an athlete, a marathon runner, refusing to stop, refusing to give in until they complete the race, or the picture of a soldier who is on the battlefield keeping going, pushing forward, even though it's extremely tough. It's about persevering in your faith. It's about facing those hard times in your life and saying, no matter how awful the situation is, I will still have Jesus. I can still serve Jesus. I will still be with Jesus. And this trial will make me more like him, more mature, more complete. And even in the pain, you know deep down that it's better to go through this trial than not to. But it's also knowing that even in the most unbelievably tough times, you can still experience an unexplainable joy that comes from Jesus Christ. Now, this attitude doesn't come naturally to me. <laughs> Maybe it does to you. I hope it does. I suspect not. You need to ask God to give it to you. And like Paul, we pray for endurance so that no situation can defeat us. And we pray for patience so that no person can bring us down. So, so bring your trials before the loving Father and trust that He is at work through them. Pray it for your friends. Pray it for me. Pray it for the leaders of this church. Ask God for wisdom to know His purpose. Ask Him for just to mature us as His children to the difficulties that we face. But also don't be afraid to tell him how you instinctively feel about those trials. Perhaps most importantly of all, you need to know, you need to meditate on the pure joy of knowing his son. It's only out of a deep intimacy with Jesus 
and knowing that you are loved and, and accepted by Him, that, that any of these things are even possible. See, we, we all find it easy to be joyful when things are going really well, but the joy that is given by God, that is birthed in Christ, that is ignited in the power of the Holy Spirit, cannot easily be destroyed, and, and this joy is refined through testing. Mule says that if joy is not rooted in the side of suffering, it's shallow. So when circumstances or difficulties come, we should display joyful patience. When people are hard to live with, we should reveal joyful endurance because the joy of the Lord is not dependent on circumstances or on people. Neither is it something that you can ever work up. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only God's Spirit within you can give you joy in the midst of problems. So pray. Pray for His power, for yourself, and for others. Thirdly, Paul prays a prayer of thanks, verses 13 and 14. He says, for He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of His Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you're anything like me, pray you're not. <laughs> Your prayers often drift to being self-centered or at least just focusing on the problems that are here and now. In fact, sometimes our eyes don't go even any higher than the ceiling. But notice, notice where Paul is looking as he prays. He focuses in on what God has done for his people and Paul is not content just to say to the readers, you know, we should be thankful. No, he tells them exactly why. He says, first of all, we have been rescued from darkness and we have been brought into the light. God has rescued the believer from the kingdom of darkness. He's he transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus. And it's so important that we allow this wonderful gospel truth to affect the way in which we pray. We should, be, we should be bouncing up and down. We should be rejoicing that we have left the kingdom of darkness, that we've been brought into the glorious light. We declare the gospel. We declare God's grace over our lives. Speak truth over your family. Speak truth over your friends on a daily basis. Pray the gospel into your life and into the lives of your friends around you. Listen, it never loses its power. As you pray like this, it changes you. It brings you in line with the will of God. So we declare, as 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that we have become righteous through Jesus Christ. Or Philippians 3, verse 9, we are found in Him. Once we were lost, but now we've been found. And we say, thank you, Jesus. The second thing that Paul says is that we have been transferred from slavery to freedom. In the ancient world, when a country attacked and conquered another country, the victorious nation would take that population 
out of that defeated country and then transfer it over to the conquered land. We see it many times in the Old Testament. Good example is the story of Daniel and his friends who were taken from their home and then taken into captivity in Babylon. And Paul says, in a similar way, God has transferred, transferred the Christian to his own kingdom. Once you were a slave to sin, you were in fear, you were, you were helpless. Once you were trapped in slavery, but Jesus has redeemed you. Christ is the great initiator of our salvation. He ran after you. He calls you. He brought you low. He showed you who he is and what he offers as he spent time in his presence. He, you didn't work it out for yourself. He sought you. He finds you. He saves your soul. It was by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ that your life was changed on the cross. Jesus endured God's anger and he took your place. You have received forgiveness through faith alone. And it's God's Spirit that assures you that whatever happens, you are united with Christ for now and for all of eternity. So thankfully declare this infinite value of knowing Him. You've been set free, and nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And then thirdly, we are no longer condemned, but we are forgiven. Each and every one of us deserves to be condemned by God. But the most incredible thing happened through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are no longer considered to be criminals who deserve God's punishment. Instead, we are his lost children who have been invited to come home. But not only have our debt been cancelled, it has been completely removed so that it will ne you will never be enslaved again. All the files have been wiped clean. All the records are gone. Satan cannot find anything to hold against you. God has forgiven you. He accepts you. He unconditionally loves you. Every last sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future. It's been cast into the deepest ocean, never to be brought up against you again. By grace, through faith, you are loved by God, forgiven, justified, accepted by Him. <sighs> Take a breath. So how do we respond to such love? We say, thank you, Jesus. We say, thank you, Lord. You did it for me. You did it for me. And Paul says, that's how you pray. You pray for the knowledge of God's will over your friends. You pray for the power of God in every part of their life. And above all, you pray with thankfulness in your heart. You pray gospel prayers of praise and honor to the Lord. That's how we pray. So who are you praying for? Can I encourage you, if you're not, and I know most of you and maybe many of you are, pick at least three people. If you're a student here, you just come to Chester, pick three people out of your class, begin to pray for them. If you're working in the local Q 
community here, pick three of your workmates and pray for them. Pray that they come to know Christ. But also pray for your Christian friends. Pray for your family. Pray over them. Bring them before the Lord. I can encourage you this week to use Paul's prayer here. It's Colossians 1 verses 9 to 14. Use that as the basis for how you pray. Pray God's word over their lives. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. We're going to just bring things to a close. Lord, we thank you for the wonder of your word. We thank you, Lord, just for the, the truths that are buried deep there, Lord. We, we thank you that in you, Lord Jesus Christ, we are complete. We have everything that we need. And yet we're hungry for more. More of you. Oh, Lord, I want to pray over those this morning who are facing difficulties, who have got decisions to be made. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, Father, send your Spirit, Lord, now. Lord, even in these moments, Lord, speak. Bring clarity. Bring purpose. But Lord, we, I pray, Lord, more than anything else, Lord, put within us just a thankful heart today. <laughs> Lord, the joy of the Lord, be, may it strengthen us. But Lord, may we be thankful. May we worship you. May we adore you and give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.